0: This is Inside Friartown with Providence College Athletic Director Bob Driscoll. Welcome to the Inside Friartown podcast. I'm your host, Mike DeMars, and I'm joined always by the Athletic Director for Providence College, Mr. Bob Driscoll. Bob, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Mike, still a great day to be a friar, isn't it? Always a great day to be a friar. Starting off the new year, we had the men's hockey team heading out to Las Vegas, where they played in the Fortress Invitational Tournament. And Bob, it was quite a successful trip for the team.
1: You know, I hadn't been to Las Vegas in 10 years, and my hotel room overlooked the fortress, which is, I think, the coolest NHL building I'd ever seen. and. Uh it, was just, it, it couldn't have gone any better. The weather was beautiful. Uh, the president came out with us. And then you know what it was like inside that building, one of the best branded, marketed buildings I've ever seen. And, and our young guys played really, really well. You know, win the championship and beat a, a really good Cornell team in, uh, in a shootout, which I hadn't seen at Providence ever. You know, we never end in shootouts, but the, uh, Dugan winning the game it was just a really special experience. And I think the guys had a really lot of fun.
0: It was an interesting format because you get down to the championship game, and of course you want to decide mm-hmm. a winner. So we played the normal five minute overtime period, which the NCAA does. And then after that, the second overtime was very unique. It was a three on three, which I know some professional leagues, I think some of the guys, some of the players were saying the USHL might play a three on three overtime period. But that was interesting because they weren't quite sure how to do shift changes. <laughs> right. And you know, also there's a penalty taken by Cornell. And I was thinking, oh, it's not going to go three on two, but it went four on three. So I think they are trying to tell another player to get on the ice, and he's mm-hmm. kind of looking around like, what do you mean? <laughs> we get an extra skater? Oh, even better. Uh, so it was an interesting overtime format. Um, and a couple people were kind of saying like, oh, I wonder if college hockey would ever adopt this. And I know that Coach Liebman was a little bit weary of affecting the pairwise rankings, you know, going to a shootout. While, you know, it's fun for the fans to watch, you know, the coaches are a little, little weary just because of how it would affect the pairwise rankings.
1: Well, it's interesting because oftentimes the people who win the shootouts isn't necessarily the better team. If you have two or three highly skilled guys, maybe you win the game, but you're not the better team. So I can respect what Nate's talking about it, but it's certainly a lot of fun for the fans. I mean, it's obviously why um, they do it uh, uh, in many leagues. They want to keep people in the in the seats, but uh, I would have much rather have won it in regulation because we would have got the actual win versus just the trophy in overtime because it would help us in the pairwise. But I think we did move up. Cornell, I think, was the number one in the pairwise at the time, and if that's the best team in the country, I thought we got the better of most of the game.
0: Staying in Hockey East, there's a new commissioner going to be coming in soon.
1: Can you update us on the search? Well, we've done a national national search. Joe Bertani is retiring after this this year after doing a really a great a great job, and I think there's a lot of lot of interest. This is, a, I think, arguably the best uh, conference in college hockey. So uh, we uh, have a conference call later this week. We're going to get the numbers down to a reasonable one and we'll hopefully have somebody on board by the time we go to Naples for our annual ice hockey uh, convention. So uh, it's an important hire. Obviously, uh, we want to continue to market, promote and grow our conference. And um, hopefully there's a young, dynamic person out there will help take us into a higher level.
0: And where do you want to see Hockey East move forward in the coming years, especially with a a new commissioner coming aboard?
1: Well, I think we've, we've got a great brand, uh, but sometimes we take that for granted. You know, with the social media and branding and marketing, it becomes ever more uh, important. And, and uh, we've won a lot of national championships in the conference and just creativity around it. You know, we're planning at the Garden every single year. And the question is, do we need to look at a place like Providence, perhaps, where you could... Uh, you could sell it out, have a really great experience here in, in Rhode Island, um, but it, it's also um, you know, an NHL rink up at, up at the Bruins. But my sense is up there, sometimes it's just another event, whereas down here, it would be like the Frozen Four we had uh, back in the 90s. So I just think some creativity around branding, marketing, getting more corporate sponsors around, and just getting the name out that we're the best uh, college hockey conference.
0: And tying it back into Vegas, a lot of people are asking in Las Vegas, could this be the potential site for a frozen four in the future?
1: I think it would be fantastic having been to many, many frozen fours because of the weather, first and foremost, you can get outside. The building, I think, is the best NHL building I've ever been around. The hospitality, the the you were there, Michael, the, ho- the hospitality, the hotels were amazing. The food is amazing. And it's a destination place. I mean, last year we are in Buffalo. It was the first one I've ever been to that wasn't sold out and- you know, having been an upstate New York guy, I, I respect that. But people want to go someplace that's more than just the hockey. And I think uh, Las Vegas would be a pretty special place.
0: Obviously, the talking team's been riding high here in the new year, but there's ups and downs throughout a season for a student athlete. Can you talk about the psychological impact that the winning and then maybe a couple of losses has on a student athlete?
1: I think it's hard. It's a long season. Hockey's a real long season. And not only they're competing on the ice against their best that, you know, they're going to class They're getting up early, they're coming from long trips. And I think managing your energy and your mental well-being is a critical component to it. So why we have sports psychologists is why we have mental health folks here, why we try to teach them to get as much rest as possible. And. Uh, I know what Nate tries to teach our young guys is um, minimize the highs and lows. If you get too high after high after a victory, and then you get too low, there's too much ups and downs. So it's just just staying the course and knowing that if you put the effort in and you stay mentally positive, good things will happen. But that's it's part of life. You know, some days you get up and it uh, it's it's rainy or snowy. You don't want to get out of bed. That's when you got to look at your wrist bracelet that says every day is game day and get up and get at it. So it's a, it's a mental toughness game, Michael, at the end of the day.
0: I think some people forget that, you know, the student athletes, first of all, they're human. They're just like anybody else. There's days I get up where I certainly yeah. don't feel my best. <laughs> you know, I'm getting a little bit older. My knee's getting a little bit stiffer. You know, there's days where I'm not, I'm not the best, but you know, and, and the student athletes, it's the same thing. They go out there and they might not have the best day or the best game. Yeah. And we have to remember that, you know, first of all, they're human beings and You know, they do their best, though, to to try to perform that high level Mm -hmm. every time they're on the floor, because, you know, especially for the basketball team, the hockey team, there's a lot of attention being paid to these athletes.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on these young people. They've always been the best of the best. When you get at this level, everybody's really, really good and talent only gets you so far. And then it's the mental toughness and grit. Uh, You look at a guy like Noel Archery, he probably wasn't the best player on the team, but he was the toughest guy out there and worked hard in the weight room, in the training room, took care of his body, was a great teammate. And I think attitude and mental toughness and positive energy goes a long way. And that's That's a learned skill, right? I mean, some people are born with it, but then you have to cultivate it. And other people look at the life through the lens of of negativity. And I think that's just the way most people are hardwired. So the great ones find a way to bring their best when it matters.
0: Coming up later in the episode, we will hear from former men's soccer player, Nick Saylor. But first, I sat down with the head coach of the Providence College swimming and diving team, Mr. John O'Neill. Our next guest is the head coach of the Fire's men's and women's swimming and diving program, Mr. John O'Neill. Coach, your team recently had a winter training camp in Puerto Rico. Can you talk about what goes into this camp?
2: Well, annually, uh, we, like a lot of college teams, head south right in the middle of our heavy training period. Uh, This year, we went back to Puerto Rico, uh, which is not unusual. There were probably over 25 college teams in Puerto Rico all around the island, but on We happen to be on the south coast uh, at Ponce, uh, with about eight schools uh, at our location, and um, it gained a lot of notoriety because uh, over the past few weeks, Puerto Rico has experienced uh, quite a few uh, tremors and earthquakes, and it's and and we certainly did while we were there, and so um, one of the. Uh, great things about uh, uh, Providence is uh, the amount of um, uh, the the incredible support I got here. Uh, And what I mean by that is logistically, we knew when we had felt uh, uh, kind of back to back days, um, we had a a week ago, Tuesday, we had a, a rather large earthquake, and I knew I was going to move the team from, we were on the south coast of Puerto Rico, and I knew uh, uh, the best place for us was on the north coast. Um, and so um, I was working, at the same time I was working with my travel agent to make that happen back here on campus, both their director of security, um, our uh, emergency people, our uh, sport administrator was communicating with our parents. It was a whole team effort to inform our parents what was going on, to get me the information I needed, to provide the school the information they needed on the ground, so to speak. And by the time we had our, uh, essentially, was an evacuation plan set up, get the team from the South Coast and the North Coast, everything ran smoothly. We knew that we could get from one place to the other. We knew the roads were clear. We knew uh, that was extremely valuable information, and it was working with Corn. Uh, back here to make sure um, we were good to go. It was an incredible experience for both our staff and our and our athletes. And um, once we got to the North Coast, uh, things had settled down um, at really no time. Uh, did we lack for a place, uh, food, all that type of thing. Everything was, we were safe in a safe place, even though it was a really a different kind of situation. So probably the first time ever our, our team was uh uh, happy to come back to school uh, from a training trip. Um, typically, that's a, a, a great experience with uh, a lot of great weather and uh, some really hard work getting done, but uh, a very unique experience for us. Um, but we were, we were very happy to uh, when the wheels went up and, and uh, we took off.
0: And one thing your team is known for is participating with Swim Across America. Can you talk about that program?
2: Uh, Well, Swim Across America is a uh, network of both uh, open water swims and now has even uh, expanded to pool swims we're involved with, and I've been on the board since its inception for over uh, now 10 years ago, uh, the Rhode Island swim. It happens the first Saturday in uh, September, uh, right after Labor Day. We got that off the ground 10 years ago and we expanded it by continually to uh, essentially invite, recruit local college teams. So all of the schools in Rhode Island participate, quite a few in, in neighboring Massachusetts and Connecticut come yearly. It is literally the biggest uh, swim in the country with uh, well over, oh, close to the last couple of years, 600 uh, swimmers. We, uh, again, um, are... <laughs> (laughs) Both our program and our families and our alumni, it's become uh, a real central point. I wanted to kind of step away from doing community service things. Uh, The philosophy behind it was doing community service things all the time, trying to get out and about weekly, bi-weekly, doing things here and there um, throughout the year and focus on a singular event and do it really well. It's been a, a huge success, better than we could have ever dream. The Mets raised over a million dollars here in Rhode Island for cancer research. Our um, end of that, if you will, both the Friars' families, et cetera, uh, has raised over or close to a quarter million dollars. I mean, it's north of uh, 200,000 now and closing in on, you know, a quarter million dollars. We'll, we'll top that next year. Or so I could not be more proud of our both our program, the uh, alumni uh, and whatnot that have been part of um, this, this great partnership, if you will, with Swim Across America, the national organization. So uh, we're proud of uh, the event. We look forward to next year. So on September twelfth. It's becoming a, a synonymous with with our with our program here. So, really proud of what our our families and our and our athletes have done.
0: When you're recruiting student athletes, what characteristics are you looking for?
2: Uh, I get that question when families visit from time to time. Uh, it's a an analogy to to maybe, or or use our, our sport for for example. Uh, it, it's great. Um, it's great if a butter, you know, if your best butterfly is graduating. If you have an incoming butterfly, but I learned a long time ago, I can't recruit like that. We don't recruit like that. We look ultimately for people who love it here. Their first impression when they're being walked around by either myself or or one of our staff members when they're when they're visiting is um, really important. You know, take it all in. Uh, we lay out our plan. We lay out our our literally our day-to-day routine, and we look for people who just connect, Uh, connect with the campus, connect with the setting. If that's there, by the time they've met our team, by the time they come for an official visit, by the time they experience a day, you know, go to classes, that kind of thing, we think we've got a home run no matter what they do. Whatever stroke they do, that type of thing, uh, whatever their specialty is. So, while we hope that uh, we always have strong stroke groups and we can continue to, you know, build our depth, uh, really, it's it's kind of a people-centered um, looking for people who who really clearly um, like and then eventually love it here, because then they're they're going to get the they're going to get the most out of uh, the experience, both in the water and out.
0: Welcome back to the Inside Town Podcast. I'm your host, Mike DeMars, and joined always by the Athletic Director for Providence College, Mr. Bob Driscoll. Bob, we're into 2020. Mm -hmm. I can't believe it. I've been running 2019 for the last two weeks, but we're into 2020, and there's no denying that technology is a major, major factor in sports. Can you talk about what Providence College has in terms of technology and how it's aiding their athletic teams?
1: Well, technology definitely has Im- impacted all of sport. And, and um, if you go into any of our locker rooms, they all have smart boards. If you go into the locker room in between periods at the rink, right, they're downloading video clips and Nate is pitch- picking the video clips to show to the guys in terms of breakouts or power plays or just moving the puck out of the zone. And, you know, we certainly didn't have that as players. Um, but I but I worry sometimes that there can be too much technology You know, you look at the NFL games and they're on the sidelines with the iPads and when they don't work, Bill Belichick slams it on the the ground. (laughs) But I think football is different than a lot of other sports. I know they're talking about doing a similar thing to basketball, but basketball, there's not a lot of free time to be looking at, um, at iPads and so forth. So I think there's a place for it, but I think with the technology, it can be overwhelming. And you know, as a former student athlete, you only have so much attention during that timeout. You're trying to catch your breath. You're trying to get refocused. And throwing too much at young people, I'm not sure, is the best in their best interest.
0: Yeah, the NCAA approved some electronic uh, device use for certain conferences for men's and women's basketball. For men's basketball, they're not allowing live video uh, or video being permitted uh, in the bench area. They are allowing video transmission to the bench. Uh, video transmission isn't allowed to the bench area, but they can have preloaded video on their devices. But for the men's, it would be more like live stats, which I think they're getting a they're getting the printouts for the most part at each timeout as well. So I'm not sure the live stats is really going to do too much uh, having electronic device there, having preloaded video, yes and no. But I think we talked about with basketball, it, it changes. It's such a fluid sport. You can change the defense on the fly. You know, even during a possession, you could change your defense. Um, so I'm not sure basketball this type of technology for basketball is the best fit?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure it is either. And and I sit beside the bench in basketball and around hockey, and I, I watch the attention span of young men and women. And as a former athlete, I know I was trying to catch my breath. I was trying to relate to, hey, bring my best afterwards. And if I could pick up one or two comments and process it, that's about all I could get. And if you watch our young people the same way. So, Sometimes less is is more.
0: With all the tech and pro sports these days, is there anything that the pro sports level that they're doing that you'd like to see the NCAA adopt?
1: You know, I, I don't know enough to talk intelligently about that, but some of the technology that I think is really helpful or like when our soccer players or our, our hockey players have their heart monitors on and you have a, a strength and conditioning coach that can look and see what their heart range is so you can tell when they're in the red zone and going to get an anaero- anaerobic um Uh, lactic acid so you know when to get them off the ice or if other guys are are performing below their level so i think i think the physiological feedback and heart rate monitor is really really important in terms of performance because sometimes you stay on the ice too long and it's going to take you two more shifts to recover so knowing what your zone is i think that that's a pretty good thing to do
0: i think the heart rate monitor and the the biometric data is going to be huge going forward you know i know when i was younger you know the coach says hey how are you doing You, you know are you good? Are you good? And it's mm-hmm. always, yep, I'm good coach. Yep. I'm ready. I can stay in, yep. but now they can have data that says like, Oh, they're reaching a certain level or, mm-hmm. you know, in practice, like was this person pushing it during right. practice or were they, you know, they you know, dogging it a little mm-hmm. bit and you have the data now to kind of show that where some players may show more, you know, show that they exert more energy during practice might not be the best thing where you can kind of find a, a better medium so they can get mm-hmm. through practice, recover, and then be at their best performance come game time.
1: Well, some of the analytics that I think really we're finding out is sleep is the most important aspect to recovery and performance. And a lot of student athletes don't get enough sleep. So, you know, there are ways to monitor it through eye watches and um, is the room cold enough or is, is it dark enough? You're not looking at blue screens, you know, or are you going to bed early enough so you can get a minimum of eight hours sleep? All those things are critical to recovery and performance. And we're just starting to learn those things.
0: Is there any tech that you see out there that you would like to just abolish or do away with? <laughs> I know a lot of the NFL, you know, replay stuff is getting a little bit long. Uh, the NHL, they have the replay for offsides, everything like that. Is there anything you see that's out there that's like, all right, this is a little bit too much. We should probably come back a little bit on the tech.
1: Well, I have been. I understand the, the, re, the need for video replays and so forth, but I think it's slowing the game down and it's taking away – Um, the power of the decision on the ice. And I think officials, at least I watch in hockey oftentimes, uh, are afraid to just kind of make the call. They're constantly going over the box. And if you look at it over and over again, you can kind of interpret it in a number of different ways. And I just think it disrupts the flow of the game. So I would like to see them limit when they could actually go to the tape. And uh, because it causes, uh, I think it's just stressful for everybody. You know, it's too much. And it puts too much pressure on the officials.
0: And for the most part, the officials in these leagues, they're doing a great job. Like if you look at a lot of the baseball, you know, replays where they slow it down frame by frame, which obviously the umpires calling it in real time, I'd say 99% of the time, the umpires are getting it right. So I think that, you know, once again, going back to being human beings, the umpires, referees, officials, they're all human beings and they're refereeing or officiating human beings i think that's part of the sport is the human aspect of it
1: well you hope at the end of the day it balances out and usually it does and i what i try to tell my coaches don't focus so much on the calls there are going to be good calls and bad calls that's part of it focus on coaching your team because you get caught up in that it creates a negativity the coach gets frustrated the kids get frustrated and then it becomes outside your control and it gives you a reason for why perhaps you're not performing so the discipline of blocking out and just play every play to the best of your ability Uh, usually the best team wins later in the show
0: bob and i will take a look at how our student athletes performed in the classroom during the fall but first i spoke with former student athlete and current athletic department staff member nick sailor our next guest is a former member of the friars men's soccer team and he is now a member of the athletic department staff at providence college Our guest is Mr. Nick Saylor. I know a lot of time hasn't passed since you were a student athlete here, but what was it like to play soccer at Providence College?
3: You're right. Not a lot of time has passed. And uh, I think I still reflect on a lot of those memories. Um, It's really hard to pinpoint one. Um, I think when I look back at my four years here, there were just some amazing moments on the field. But I think. And it sounds cliche, but I think all the memories that you create with your teammates, those long lasting bonds, um, you know, I still talk to, you know, teammates in my class, you know, almost daily. And I think really sort of creating that bond and that that brotherhood um, is something that will always stick with me and uh, the valuable lessons, how to just be a good person, what it means to be a leader. um, I think all of those things were really instilled in me via playing um, soccer here at Providence College. Then after graduation, you went down to Baltimore and you worked as a teacher. Can you tell us about that experience? I absolutely loved my time as a teacher. I, um, I always joke that there's a special place in heaven for middle school teachers. It is certainly a challenging job, but um, I really enjoyed my time. I was fortunate enough to be uh, through Teach for America, uh, teach special ed middle school math in uh, northeast Baltimore at Walter B. Carter Elementary Middle and um, I really enjoyed my time uh, challenging work, but I loved my students, miss them to this day. Um, and I think during that time, I really was able to grow just as a person, um, grow as an educator um, and really sort of take that next step for me um, to grow.
0: You were hired back in the fall as the director of training and education for diversity, equity and inclusion here at Providence College. Talk about your role and how it'll benefit student athletes.
3: Yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited about this unique role. It's a great collaboration between the athletic department and the Office of Institutional Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion over in Harkins uh, to really be sort of um, a liaison um, for a lot of diversity initiatives for the athletic department, um, provide training and education for staff, senior staff, coaches and student athletes, really providing them um the tools necessary to be successful as it relates to DEI. And as we kind of go forward throughout the you know, next you know few years, it's really an instrumental part of our strategic plan and really something that um, Bob Driscoll and the rest of the athletic um, department has really valued high. Um, so I'm really fortunate enough to step into this role and and really sort of make a difference um, in that space. And Nick, I know we have a big
0: initiative coming up in February called Hashtag Friars in Black. Can you talk about that program?
3: Absolutely. So we're really excited. This will be the first year that we're uh, kicking off our social media campaign, Hashtag Fires in Black. During Black History Month, we'll be using our social media accounts to celebrate uh, the black excellence here at Providence College Athletics, both past and present, celebrating some of our former coaches, current coaches, former players, staff, present players, really sort of putting the spotlight on some of our um, black excellence within our department and really um, showcasing and highlighting how much we as a college and how much we as an athletic department um, value all of their contributions. So we're really excited, Um, had some opportunities to share this initiative with a lot of folk and I know our coaching staff, I know our players. some alum that I've been able to talk to are really excited about this. So be on the lookout when you see it on, um, our Twitter page, uh, do retweet and share it. Um, I think it's a great initiative and looking forward to continue it for years to come. Welcome back to the Inside Friartown Podcast. I'm your host,
0: Mike DeMars. And as always, I'm joined by the Athletic Director for Providence College, Mr. Bob Driscoll. Bob, we're into the spring semester now, and we've gotten some statistics from the fall semester, which I know you're very proud of.
1: Yeah, well, you know, oftentimes the view of our program is depending on how men's basketball or men's ice hockey does. But it's a much bigger picture than that. And we talk a lot about becoming the model program, the most respected program in the nation. You graduate every student-athletes and compete for championships and create young men and women that will go out and positively impact the world so we just received our uh, fall semester grades and the um, average for all of our student athletes is 3.2 which is really quite an accomplishment when you consider they almost have two full-time jobs our students are in the community um, helping build playgrounds raising money for the homeless and just doing things that are impacting the community in a really positive way and that's something i'm I'm really proud of, and uh, you know, it's much more than just winning games. It's about creating great young and young men and women. I think Providence College, and Providence College athletics, is is doing that.
0: A couple more stats to throw out there: We had 15 student athletes with a perfect 4.0. 106 student athletes qualified for the Dean's List. That's a 3.55 GPA or higher. The top team was women's cross country and track and field with a 3.46 GPA. And 233 student athletes with a GPA above 3.0. Obviously, the statistics are great, showing that the kids are performing not only on the field, on the ice, but also in the classroom. Talk about the coaches and their recruiting. They're recruiting players that are not only focused on excelling in their sport, but also they're excelling in the classroom.
1: Yeah, which is really the most important piece of it, right? Uh, There are young men and women that will have a professional career, but a very, very small number. Uh, but you're going to have a professional career in your in your degree. And so it's really important that they put the same time and energy into their uh, academics. And this is proof that they are. I, I say that you how you do anything is how you do everything. I don't think you can perform well in the classroom and not on the court and vice versa. So they're all interconnected. It's that whole every day is game day attitude. And that's something I'm really proud of because sometimes the basketball team will get home at four in the morning. There's supposed to be a class at eight the next day, and that takes discipline and hard work. And those are the kind of core values we're trying to teach our student-athletes, hard work, mental toughness, perseverance, selflessness, that eventually not only will make them a success here, but throughout life. So I'm really proud of that. And the numbers don't, don't lie. In our world, you either win or lose, or either got your grade or you didn't get the grade, There are hard numbers. And what I'm really proud about is they're willing to compete for that. And when you have that success, you have to celebrate it. And talk about the support
0: staff that's in place. They've obviously done a tremendous job helping these student-athletes.
1: You know, that's a great point, Michael, and I know the coaches get a lot of credit, but really the the people behind it, first and foremost, are the, the student-athletes. And then Caitlin and Jamie and all the great people in academic support that help them and require them to, uh, to come to academic study table and so forth. There's a team behind the team that I think the outside world doesn't see. They travel with the team and, to the student-athletes' uh, credit, they respect them just like they do their coach, and they work They work hard, and the proof is in the in the outcome. So uh, we're really blessed in Friartown to have great people that don't get a lot of credit, but without them, none of this stuff happens.
0: And we're in a great position moving into the next decade of Friartown. Talk about Friartown in 2010 and where it's come in the last decade.
1: Well, it's radically different. I just started my 19th year. So first of all, I'm getting old, but I'm getting wiser, Mike. I'm just really proud of what we all collectively have accomplished. You look at this campus and how amazing it looks across the board. And it's a tribute to Father Shanley as well. But. We've done over $150 million worth of athletic facilities. If you add the Dunkin' Donut Center, that's another $140 million. And we're competing for championships. We've won Big East championships, Hockey East championships, and national championships. And that's because we have great coaches who have stayed here. I often said I wanted Providence College to be a destination and not a stepping stone in the fact that our high-profile coaches, uh, and just most recently Ed turning down Michigan or... You know, our soccer coach turning down Boston College I mean that's a tribute to what we've created this kind of family attitude but there's a whole nother level right so what we need to do is to build on this and my vision is to create the model program in all of college athletics where you do graduate every athlete and you do have a chance to compete for a championship in all the sports that are fully funded and you do have people that are great human beings and I think we're getting close to that but Mike you never arrive right there's always another level of it so you know we've got to build phase two which we're going to do we want to put a bubble on one of the fields which we want to do and um, we want to make Hockey East and Big East the best two conferences in the nation now those are visionary thoughts but why not why not us and what do you think Friartown will look like in 2030 well it's hard to believe it would look any better than it does today but you know I 10 years ago it didn't look like this so I hope, I hope it looks like um, the Disneyland of college athletics. When you walk in the door, everything is crisp, new, clean, that you're welcomed by kind, generous people. And there's a sense of community and family that uh, really appreciates and has gratitude for what Providence College stands for. So just, uh, just a special place.
0: And what big changes do you think will happen in the NCAA as a whole over the next decade
1: well I think the uh, name and likeness is coming fast uh, they may have cr- congressional involvement in that you know the the pay for play uh, situation is not going to go away unfortunately I think you may see some programs get cut as things get squeezed I I think we're probably spending too much money on the uh, salaries and i mean i don't think it's sustainable you know the tv will the tv revenue always be there i, I don't know but i think the cost savings and actually um, trying to manage the business of college athletics with these name and likenesses and possibly playing young people to play is going to be an issue and may may uh, challenge the whole amateurism which i'm worried about at the end of the day they're students they're they're competing for their education and there's only a a small group of uh, programs out there that are actually positive cash flow, maybe the LSUs of the world and some of the, but the schools like Providence College and others aren't, aren't one of them. And I, I worry that uh, it'll change the whole uh, purpose of why we do what we do. But, you know, we're going to fight the good battle and just we're going to focus on what Providence College does well.
0: Thank you for listening to the Inside Friartown Podcast. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app. And as always, go, go Friars! Friars.